why don't they just let people vote on the vaccine name? That's what I'm saying. You know, <laughs> democracy. Yeah, I mean, we're all bored at home and Vaxi Maxi. Well, I love when um, New York City held a contest for naming some of the fairies and they asked school children to name them. The fairy um, that they named ended up being called Lunchbox. So yeah. I feel like well, actually something weird and abstract like that. That'd be good. Yeah. Like, but, why but don't we call the than... vaccine like like uh, George? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is it is better, though, than the ones that they're suggesting. What, right. Yeah. What are they suggesting now? What is well, like the. You don't it's, like you don't like Covey Myrna right, maybe, or or Arnax <laughs> Covey or Comoranti or Covuity. Right. There aren't any formal like there isn't any formal messaging on this, but like these companies have to trademark the, their names before they name the vaccine anything. So so far, like Pfizer has trademarked Arnax Covey, Covey Myrna, Comernati. <laughs> Which is interesting. That sounds like Illumin, like a yeah. little bit like <laughs> I don't know if that's like a good name. Yeah, in, that, in a that's world a... like this one, Covuity. Yeah, those are the um, those are the conceptual ones. Whereas uh, Moderna has uh, trademarked Covidvax, Spikevax, another Spikevax, but with a Y instead of an I for Spike. Spikevax. Oh, this is your grandfather's vaccine, man. This is your <laughs> vaccine for your generation. And. Just like tragically, <laughs> Wuhan vax. Oh, oh, come on. Yeah. I mean, it's surprising that in our very like fragmented uh, media markets that people aren't like, uh, you know, in, in like hyper targeting that people aren't just uh, using like different, different vaccine names for different demographics, you know, that yeah. like for, 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 for the Gen Xers, it is spike vax, but then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for us, it's like, you know, a throwback soda, like right. surge. But it's a vaccine. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Fruitopia. RC Vax. Yeah, all, high C ecto cooler Vax. <laughs> I mean, that, it, it's funny. It makes sense because like medical naming terminology is so it's a very like modern but not contemporary. You know I feel what like I mean? most it's people like, don't even like say the name, the actual brand name of the vaccine. You say like flu vaccine. You say like uh, shingles vaccine. Right. But I mean, you could just call it. Yeah. I mean, for there for yuppies or whatever, just name it like you name like a PlayStation or an iPad or whatever, right? Just like right. coronavirus vaccine Pfizer. Right. Powder pink uh like branding and then uh, and then you're done. Series E. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I have to say like I do really like the name for the shingles vaccine though. Do you guys know what it is? What's no, that? it's like Shingrix. <laughs> <laughs> do I need like a PhD to do this or can I just can I can I just name various medicines like with an undergrad degree? And and also like is there a degree track somewhere where I think it's just, at University of Phoenix, there's probably yeah, yeah. A, a robust Medicine program <laughs> for, um, you know, health marketing. I think the degree program is you just get an unpaid internship at a graphic design firm for enough years that they promise you will become <laughs> a paid uh, position. Can we start a change.org <laughs> petition to have Michael Caputo name all of the vaccines? Because I feel like he'd do a good job. <laughs> he would just name them all after Grateful Dead characters what or song like, names or whatever albums. Is that the I worst mean, thing in the world? Get all the boomers to take it. 
Welcome to the Deaf Panel. We're back, main feed episode. If you'd like access to our weekly bonus episode, patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. We do two a week. This is the free one. So if you want, you know, the entire back catalog of episodes, please uh, consider becoming a patron and supporting the show. Uh, what else? Patrons also get a discount on merch, mm-hmm. which is, yeah. you know, good. Get your Medicare for all holidays. Makes a Makes a great weird gift for anybody well, in your life. I don't know if you want to say that because I don't know if like, we can guarantee shipping by Christmas or something, so we don't want to. Yeah, you never know. Our- Louis DeJoy yeah. is out to get us. <laughs> yeah, we God. don't. We don't believe in Christmas here at the Death Panel, and therefore we don't believe in that uh, shipping deadline. That's right. Christmas is a social construct, so right. And so and so is the shipping deadlines around it. Cool. So I mean, before we get into Medicare for All, I think we should briefly touch base on some really excellent leaked emails that came out about. The herd immunity strategy at the CDC. Woo! The, the, I, I have to say that, you know, as much as we knew about the influence of the Great Barrington Declaration people on the administration, and as much as we knew about Scott Atlas and about um, Paul Alexander and sort of what they were up to, the emails just do give you a sense of the social world in which all of this took place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So many punctuation marks. Yeah. Like, (laughs) unbelievable amount of punctuation marks from Paul Alexander, PhD. We saw some confirmation of something that we'd been assuming for a long time, which is that there was massive discussion going on um, within the administration about whether or not to pursue a herd immunity strategy and what exactly was the best course of action. So, like, this the funny thing about these emails is, like, in one sense, it's news because we have the emails and you can see the way that they're talking to one another, which we should actually definitely get into and mm-hmm. have some dramatic readings of. But <laughs> in another sense, you know, it is it is not news at all and... Like the the funny thing is the way that the Great Barrington people tried to push this for a while is they kept getting on invited on to, uh, you know, shows and uh, you know written up in in various publications that like tried to paint the picture as like oh we're we're just coming to some different conclusion through this organic process of like research and deliberation and like we're just this we're we're just like performing the function that like you know real scientists do of like challenging the conventional wisdom and so on but like what you see in these emails very clearly is these political appointees in HHS are just emailing one of the saying like oh how can we like cherry pick like basically I think the one like email from Caputo is like oh here's this thing that I already believe right. how can we prove that this is true is that the exact is that the exact line it's uh... it's 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 like something that I the, the like the kind of language that should be purged from you very very early in your life about the way to talk about science literally the Michael R. Caputo uh, email which again go back if you uh, if you don't know who we're talking about uh, this is the HHS guy who was yeah. um, responsible for among other things with Paul Alexander who is the subject sending most of these emails was responsible for all of the stuff uh, over the last uh, few months um, all the news hits about um, you know pe- people within HHS trying to basically corral the like MMWRs coming out of the administration basically to as opposed to doing the regular thing that they 
do, which is reporting the latest sort of like clinical information and, and like interesting case studies about uh, a variety of infectious diseases, including COVID-19 uh, through the CDC, basically trying to actively intervene to change the language to be more favorable to the Trump administration. Um, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, we can so we have like a whole episode where we talked about his life as yes, a, a boat guy with a, a parrot and a blog. Um, <laughs> he had a tugboat. It's important to note. He had a tugboat, but yeah, um, this yeah, this email from Michael Caputo literally says, "How can this be researched and proven true or false?" Um, <laughs> which is just a fascinating uh way to to go about i mean not a surprising necessarily way to that these people are going about their uh, public health measures but definitely a mood i mean the fact that that's in response to an email from paul alexander that says you got me thinking and i went looking at literature and voila ellipsis i found it (laughs) ellipsis Top researchers have written that COVID herd can be as low as they think as 20% ellipsis and NYC is there ellipsis. And that's why I argue things have slowed ellipsis. (laughs) And maybe just maybe all we need is 20% antibodies ellipsis. I could not stop thinking about what I wrote. So I had to find something ellipsis. Thank God to at least show I ain't nuts, my man. <laughs> Lovely. I mean, I think it's worth noting, though, you know, for as much as we've talked about the Great Barrington uh, Declaration people, I mean, this is before all of that stuff was like really a lot more public, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. these, these um, uh, two emails are from July 25th. Yeah, this is from July. So it just kind of goes to show that this entire ecosystem was basically like drumming up. Like there is, in a way, if you look at these emails from uh, from Paula Alexander, there's stuff in them that like, let me put it this way. If you were, if uh, like for people who like, let's say the kind of guy who like gets the majority of their information from, uh, I don't know, like tabloids or something like the new york post Mm -hmm. uh Mm -hmm. things like that there like there were a number of from i guess like the end of april through into this point where paul alexander is sending this email there were a number of uh you know big things about how you know people were questioning whether there was already like 20 percent innate immunity or something within the population even higher in some cases and people were questioning at this point like there there was some uh study that was done i don't know i don't remember the efficacy of this or like how uh how accurate or or not it was but i do remember that even like cuomo cited it which was talking about how like 25 percent of people that they had looked at had uh in new york city had covid antibodies and so they're like doing this sort of reverse bullshit which is trying to say like okay well look if people in new york city have like 25 like 25 percent of them at that point in like early uh you know early summer or whatever have shown to have covid antibodies maybe that attributes to like maybe like that shows why the cases are going down or something um (laughs) as opposed to the fact that by that point the government assistance that actually did help had kicked in and was like (laughs) you know actually helping people stay home, do less, you know, you know what I mean? Well, and there's a government shutdown on Friday, right? We're supposed to get some whoppingly large uh, assistance, which will definitely um, help pay people to stay home. Yeah. yeah, The the problem (laughs) solver is going to problem solve by which I mean, (laughs) by which I mean, (laughs) we're going to solve the problem of having to deal with this. And uh, we're going to solve the problem of uh, us being on the hook. We are now, now we're going to make you, uh, deal with the problems. 
solve, the problems will solve be solved the problem of what to do with uh, with six hundred dollars. Yeah, solve uh, the problem of those pesky people that happen to live in our country. <laughs> right. That, exactly. <laughs> I mean, talk about like dumb socially constructed deadlines, but like. Those problem solvers love dumb, socially constructed deadlines. Right. And because NPR can't get anyone else to like talk about uh, the legislation and and indeed because like there isn't actual <laughs> leadership on this legislation, then these dorks uh, are the people that end up like they're the ones that are interviewed and made by dint of the interview to sound uh, reasonable, but it's like the question is is like, oh yeah, you're so you've abandoned state and local aid. That's just not going to happen. I'm like, well, you know, we needed to compromise. It's like, and then th- there's no follow up question. Like, oh yeah, so so you're okay with like the economic recovery taking another like couple years, or like you're okay with uh, millions more jobs being shed? Like, that's never that's never the follow up, and that is the sort of epiphenomenon of not really having. Um, any sort of principal leadership, I guess, on this legislation. Yeah. I guess the one thing about these emails that that's sort of like calming to me, I know that might sound weird, is that you feel a little less crazy reading it. It's not like the Great Barrington Declaration was this like really um, groundbreaking set of ideas. We've never claimed that. It was just a incredibly convenient support for things that were already being pushed, you know, and, mm-hmm. and this is it all ties into why we've not seen any stimulus too, because if this is the priority, if all you're going to end up with is exactly what we've got now, which is sometimes up to 3000 people a day dying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it it was, I think illuminating to me to see the social imaginary they had in their head, which is like, this is what we need to happen. Uh, we mm-hmm. need it to somehow be the case that we can say that uh, herd immunity is the way that we're going to like get to um, get to some like successful outcome. And then they're like every single thing that they see in the news is just like um, it, it's like when you start believing in some sort of conspiracy theory, then you see it everywhere. And so like it, you can literally see in the emails just like anything that comes across in the news. They're like they just like send the article with like no text in the email. It's just like hey, yeah, this thing, exactly. you know, before we wrap on this segment, um, maybe Artie, could you do a dramatic reading of the most egregious email from what was leaked uh sure yeah <laughs> so this one well wait which which one it was gonna say. <laughs> the one that you posted on twitter uh last night oh yeah so uh this is from when uh this email is interesting and then this email chain is interesting and then it seems like he goes from kind of casually throwing something out about maybe after we get to like 20 percent of people having been exposed to this virus like we will somehow achieve uh, herd immunity, which is like completely, you know, obviously like dead wrong. Uh, well, but, just numerically uh, doesn't make any sense. But it's like he's thrown this out and Michael Caputo, his uh, I think his superior at this point, like mm-hmm. Michael Caputo, his superior has basically, you know, like responds uh, very positively. So like it literally seems like it escalates, like he gets fixated, like he's gotten some degree of positive feedback on this. And he's just like, I like, okay, now I can, uh, now I can like go forth and like try and prove my theory. And it just gets into this extended, you can tell that he's just, he's like one of those guys who just, uh, the emails that he sends are just like completely stream of consciousness basically. Um, mm-hmm. and I'll just read, uh, from this part of it where he's, uh, he's, 
he starts by complaining about uh, Anthony Fauci uh, basically like sc- being too scary on on uh, the news by saying that, that it is indeed a, a thing to worry about. Um, and this is where he gets into this is, you know, I, I guess let me put it this way. The, the following text that I'm about to read is what it sounds like to me when I read the Great Barrington Declaration people stuff or when I hear like people like Martin Koldorf say like, oh, you know, we just have to do targeted immunity, uh, target, targeted protection. That's that's how we protect. This is, this is how it sounds to me. So, uh, quote from this email. So the bottom line is if it is more infectiousness now, the issue is who cares if it is causing more cases in young my word is who cares ellipsis as long as we make sensible decisions and protect the elderly and nursing homes which at this point cuomo had already filtered a bunch of people into nursing homes and there was a huge like there were tons of cases in nursing homes already at this Mm -hmm. point so whatever uh continuing um quote we must go on with life who cares if we test more and get more positive tests are these test results serious three question marks are the results showing serious illness question mark more hospital three question marks (laughs) Or are folks sent home at a mu- at emergency with no hospital admission? Three question marks. Do they go to ICU if admitted? Three question marks. Why? Three question marks. Is it due to elective surgeries? Three question marks. What? Three question marks. Do they die due at COVID? Three question marks. If nothing of the latter happens, then who cares? Ellipsis. Once we safeguard the elderly, the frail, the immune compromised, and nursing homes. Ellipsis. Who cares? Ellipsis that's my opinion wow we have more fear from seasonal influenza a and b that kills 200 children a year (laughs) cdc data para ellipsis i don't know even what that means we have more to fear from ebola that is on u.s soil (laughs) that the president brought here for the first time ellipsis that is no joke ellipsis we must keep that locked down for ebola came to the u.s due to president obama ellipsis that has a near full mortality rate uh, um, and more from this issue dictated, of American Poetry Review. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Dictated to Siri. Yeah, exactly. Like, I feel like, I, um, doesn't it sound like he literally was, di- uh, except for the fact that he put all those like question marks in there? I'm like, did you dictate that to Siri? Because it really seems like he was like in a car or on a run. Oh no, and- this is big like banging on the keyboard energy. This could not have been dictated. Question mark. Yeah. Question mark. yeah. I feel like more hospital question mark, question mark, question mark is just what my pri- private insurance company used to say over and over. Yeah, exactly. More hospital? On. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is she in the ICU? Once Who again. cares? Who yeah. cares? More hospital? Some people, one, I guess one last thing some Lord. other people have pointed out is that they, uh, there's there's like one email in here where they do uh, acknowledge, for example, that the, the virus already at that point by July is disproportionately um, affecting like minority communities. And they say in in one sentence, this guy, Paul Alexander, like uh, points to basically like systemic inequities in our health system and systemic racism and then pivots directly to uh, caused like exclusively by decades of democratic neglect. Um, and it's like, well, not wrong. Yeah. But right. also <laughs> but not, not right, exclusively. But you're not, right, right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Those in glass houses or something. Yeah. Again, that's just more proof of, uh, Let's just say the uh, the Great Barrington Declaration was a uh, square peg fitting a square hole. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. it's, <laughs> well, it's almost as if there was a call put out for someone that could prove or disprove yeah. this right. thesis. Either someone way. Someone asked, who's to say? And, they found and then the they grape. found the who. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and they said, who? doesn't matter who. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, HHS aside, though, I think we would be remiss not to uh, weigh in on the the biggest uh, most consequential debate over medicare for all of our lifetimes that is currently <laughs> happening on uh, left twitter right now yeah i was um, woken mostly. up in the middle of the night by a sort of cold war style i have the red phone by the bed <laughs> yeah. um so the uh long story short if you have no idea what we're talking about um at the I think over the the weekend and towards the beginning of this week, um, Jimmy Dore, who is just some guy, basically He's some a like comedian, T-Life. right? Yeah, some like mm-hmm. one of these guys who like filtered up from being a comedian to uh, into like the TYT network mm-hmm. or something. Issued a challenge to like AOC and this uh, Congressional Progressive Caucus that uh, they should essentially withhold their votes for uh, Nancy Pelosi for Speaker of the House on the condition that Nancy Pelosi promised to bring uh, Pramila Jayapal's Medicare for All bill to a House floor vote. Mm. Um, And this has elicited a whole bunch of, uh, I don't know, yeah, posting and (laughs) counter-posting. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting because uh i mean on on the one hand it you know it's it's nice to see i guess people like on the one hand it is i guess nice to see people arguing about medicare for all act actively again Mm -hmm. but i don't know how it it seems like this is actually extremely counterproductive overall Mm -hmm. as like as a point of debate and it's because his idea is basically that the the way to go is to get a symbolic vote where you have um you know representatives somehow nailed down mm-hmm. claiming that you know there were all these people that said that they supported medicare for all who then walked it back like pete Buttigieg and kamala harris but that kind of ignores the point that i don't know what's stopping people from also making symbolic gestures i mean here's the thing is i, I started looking at this and got very annoyed because it seemed to be just this like war of personalities and get sort of mangled in the maw of the standard way that these things is just like, oh, I don't, I don't like mm-hmm. this person. They seem to have like kind of a weird uh, connection to these politics. And like, you know, they seem to be sort of like personally um, unctuous or whatever. Um, and 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 or that like this seems to be a lot about like clout and like reputation building in the media sphere. Mm-hmm. But like taking a step back from that and just like let's just pretend that we don't know the identities of the people who are having this debate and like that right. that, that isn't sort of on the table. Mm-hmm. I do actually, I ended up finding there to be something productive in thinking about what the legislative strategy should be on Medicare for all in a world where uh, Medicare for all is one rising in popularity, um, becoming seen as a uh, sort of essential thing that is lacking and, and is going to get increasingly embarrassed embarrassing to not be on the side of two completely not what any Biden administration is going to do and three unlikely to pass in the Senate right so you're in this weird holding pattern world um, Mm -hmm. and the question is like what do you do with that and I actually think it's in a way fruitful to have a debate about what you do with that and like regardless of like the personalities involved just like set that aside Let's just talk about what is being proposed, because I think there's a lot of things being confused. I think 
it, it's helpful to like look at the different parts of the legislative process and the way that you bring something to the floor, hold people accountable and build a focal point for social movements. So here's the context in which this is happening. The House majority uh, right now is going to be the smallest House majority in two decades with some of the people that have gone from the House to the Biden administration. They're now going to have uh, a majority that's, I think, 220 to 211, which right. means they need need something like 216 votes to have a majority. And it gives a if there is a, an empowered um uh, progressive faction within the House Majority Party, it gives them far more leverage than they've ever had, especially if the reforms that the CPC uh, has proposed, uh, like requiring their members to um, commit to a certain percentage of votes, kicking people out who don't commit to those progressive votes, um, th- those sorts of things. If they start actually acting like a caucus, they could uh, reset some of the terms of the agenda, right? So, mm-hmm. and this is a moment where it's like the middle of the pandemic. Um, the I think this is a moment where you could really begin winning on this issue. Um, there's a question of like how you play the hand that you've been dealt, right? And so what door and other people like Brianna Joy Gray, I actually found, I didn't agree with her article in, in Current Affairs. I found it clarifying though um, mm-hmm. because it, it it became clear what is being Um, What is sort of on the table? So like what Dorr and Gray are saying is that the CPC, not just the squad, right, uh, but the CPC should hold their votes for uh, Pelosi speakership in abeyance uh, unless they uh, unless they commit to unless Pelosi commits to having a a vote on the floor for Medicare for all. Now, um. And that's being presented as like the sine qua non of if you either you either, if you're not for this, you somehow are not committed to Medicare for all <laughs> um, and, and anything else is just chump change. But here's here's the issue with that is like this is a vote for speaker. And if you want to have some sort of credible threat to actually withhold your votes and to withhold enough votes to get a uh, to actually preempt a majority, you have to have the ability to credibly threaten to do that. Mm-hmm. Meaning you have to have maybe some heir apparent who would become speaker and that doesn't exist. Uh, and the other thing is I actually think that Pelosi would probably like nothing more than to have a vote on the floor, uh, have it fail and then advertise its failure as symptomatic of the fact that it will never be able to Mm-hmm. pass now there are <clears throat> reasons that people have argued against that but i actually think that um the the sort of situation in the house is this you have democrats who essentially work like a cartel uh <laughs> they uh maintain control of the procedures uh, of the house they prevent votes that they don't like from from getting to the floor uh they uh punish people who defect and they have a lot of um, tools at their disposal to weaken the power of uh, progressives. So like the one thing is you actually need to have a progressive caucus that has some reputation and some, uh, some wins in order to make uh, a challenge there. And I think having an early failure is, I think there is a real cost to that. Right. And if, if they fail in the vote, which basically everybody in this debate admits 
that there aren't the votes right now to have this thing pass the House. Right. Right. And so so everyone is admitting that, that this, this is very potentially going to be a legislative failure. The question is, what is the potential? Is, is there potential virtues of that failure? And so maybe mm-hmm. we could just walk through each of those potential, what is claimed to be potential virtues of that failure. So one potential virtue of the failure is said to be accountability, that uh, because people have waffled so much on Medicare for all, you know, the people who are cold feet can't hide behind uh, their votes anymore. This is going to like push things into the spotlight. But I'm not sure we think about that. Yeah, I mean, but this is like this is kind of the thing, which is that, you know, the, the, the idea is to get this like grand gesture out there. Right. And to say essentially, oh, you make people you like make people own their no vote. Right. Mm-hmm, um, right. Over saying, uh, you know, you like force like, quote unquote, like force Dems uh, to say no to Medicare for all during a pandemic um, at a time when like some huge number, like millions of people have like lost their employer sponsored health insurance. A lot of them uh, may not be able to have like even afforded to like get exchange insurance or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you have like, you know, a, a lot more people adding to the uninsured roles. The thing is, though, one, I think the politics of the moment have have shown that like if they're not going to do a bunch of things, including pass uh, measures just to show like the House could have been passing over and over again, like every week if they wanted to just like you know, repassing like new measures that are just like, OK, here's I know this is going to die in the Senate, but like here is some huge amount of aid or something. They haven't mm-hmm. been doing that. They've already actively not been like really doing very much to to help and like dragging their feet as much as uh, anyone else on meaningful support for people. And on top of that, you have so many people who are like mainstream of the Democratic Party who have very actively during the pan like during the pandemic said like, you know, like said no to Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. You, it's not it's not some like I, I do understand uh, that it, it is potentially different when concentrated in a media spectacle of like, oh, look at all these people who voted no for Medicare for all. But I guarantee you that, like you said, like you suggested, Phil, that something like, uh, you know, Pelosi wielding that as some sort of uh, signal, not just Pelosi, but like Biden, others like will wield that as a symbol of like, oh, well, look, you know, like Medicare for all didn't pass the House. This is like politically not going to happen. It's doomed to fail, mm-hmm. et cetera. But like ultimately, I mean, a couple of things. One, if your whole if your whole idea is doing this through uh, through like the current makeup of Congress and like the current makeup of American federalism, like I don't think that the the thing that you should be necessarily focusing your energies on right now is like yelling at people like AOC. Obviously, like yes, yell at AOC and make sure that she does as much as like she can because politicians like do need like even the ones that you think are benevolent or whatever <laughs> do need like need to be like demands need to be like foisted on them as long as this system of representative government is is like a thing, right? Mm-hmm. But um but like on the other hand, your energy is maybe spent a little bit less at the moment in like yelling at people like AOC and more again, if you want to do this, if you want to do this like procedural method, neither is particularly efficacious, but like you might be you're likely to be more effective in just like uh, I don't know, trying to convince a bunch of people to like withhold their uh, votes from John Ossoff on the condition that like uh, he support Medicare for all or something, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? To basically mm-hmm. send that message to people since the Democratic Party is really actively looking at Georgia right now yeah. to send that message to people of like, 
oh, wow, maybe we could have gotten a bunch of extra votes, but except for we have all these people who we've heard from on phone banking or whatever who have said, well, Ossoff doesn't support Medicare for all. He's not going to do shit for me. So, like, why would I bother voting right. for him? It's basically the same, you well, know? Right. But I want to, like, for just a second, I want to, like, try to take this point about accountability seriously, right? Because the argument that's being made is, like, this is <laughs> okay. the best way to hold people accountable uh, is by having this failed floor vote. And I would just say this, like, if you want to hold these people accountable, you could look at the... I think there are 26 Democrats who voted for H.R. 676 uh, in 2018. And then when Jayapal released the revised bill, uh, which I included long term care, uh, mm-hmm. they right. dropped off. So you mm-hmm. could look at people like Gwen Moore in my district, uh, Wisconsin. You could look at people like John Garamendi in California 3, which is uh, near where I used to live. Um, you know, these are people who you absolutely could build a credible primary challenge on the basis of the fact that they flipped. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you uh, want to seal the deal on that, uh, you can try to get them to sign a discharge petition to release the Jayapal bill uh, to the floor, right? That's something that you could absolutely do and you don't need to make it contingent on the speaker vote. And then when they don't sign the discharge petition and it doesn't pass, you can then say, look, if you if you really care about Medicare for all, why didn't you sign this discharge petition? Why did you bail on Jayapal uh, when the, the revised bill was released? Right. And you could begin cutting away at their credibility. But but that's the point is that, like, you know, you need to find ways of doing that that don't redound to the like the loss and the fracturing and the reputational weakness of the Congressional Progressive Caucus on the floor, because once that caucus is seen as weak, it injures their reputation. You don't, I think, want early losses. So I share the idea of, like, accountability. Um, And I just think that, you know, the question is, like, how best to do that? And I don't see, you know, this bid to, like, get Pelosi to agree to a a floor vote as the best means of doing that. I think also Mm -hmm. from a standpoint of... um, you know, how the average person is going to perceive a failure of a vote on the floor. It It's like it's incredibly demotivating to really want a piece of legislation. You know, this will change your life. You know, a lot of people care about Medicare for all. They don't necessarily care about the day to day workings of what's going on in Congress. But if it came to a floor vote, there are people who would get their hopes up that it would pass. Yeah, right. That's true. And mm-hmm. what is the what is the demobilizing value of that failure too? how is that going to depress people? How is that going to inspire despair? How is that going to give you know reinforcement to the idea that you can never expect something like this out of Congress. And I think mm -hmm. that that in and of itself is, you know, something that's really important and needs to be taken into consideration is that, you know, for, for people who are not diehard Congress watchers, right. For the average person who just knows that they fucking need healthcare, right. Mm -hmm. Like how depressing is it going to be to have a, a floor vote fail right now in the middle of a pandemic? Right. Yeah, exactly. And on top of it, I think, I mean, this kind of gets to the, this, this gets kind of directly to the issue for me, which is, I think that the, the method of like, I do think it's important. Yes. To talk about like, okay, what, what is a potential congressional, uh, like strategy, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. I do also think though that a lot of the elements of talking around that are talking about what, what surrounds that congressional strategy is ultimately a lot more important. Like we are at a point where 
uh, I think like the, the movement for, um, health justice in the United States, like the movement for Medicare for all the movement for like, whatever, like whatever you want to call it. Like, uh, we've been like throwing around like health communism as like kind of a jokey, but actually accurate, <laughs> uh, like, but we would uh, actually like that short, thank you. like shortened version. Yeah. Um, but we yeah, we would actually like health communism. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, but the, so much of this, like a lot, again, so much of this elides what is happening around it. And when you have a situation where, uh, much like that demotivating factor that that B is talking about of like what happens when the thing comes up for a vote, people get like maybe maybe their hopes up or maybe there's enough messaging that it's like, well, don't get your hopes up, but here's where you see all the villains, right? That's still, you're communicating mostly then to a lot of people who are already paying attention. Um, I think even, I think much more important is to build the demand and the like the movement back up to get back to even where it was in fucking like march before right. uh before or like to where it was like right before fucking super tuesday right like right. right before like pete uh did his whole uh thing in exchange for now i guess what getting transportation secretary which secretary is secretary of trains funny. yeah <laughs> trains, exactly. yourself, and like <laughs> secretary of uh strangling what is the grover norquist thing like strangling the trains in the bathtub drowning <laughs> drowning, drowning the trains the train playing the with my yeah. toy trains in the bathtub <laughs> playing <laughs> with my planes trains and automobiles in the bathtub and uh, <laughs> them I, being small enough to drown them. But you make a really good point, Artie, which is that like one of the big problems that I think we need to solve is since Bernie uh, was sort of made a political afterthought after sort of getting out of the election and not really getting anything from uh, the DNC platform, like there has not been a focal point something for the movement to like rally around on Medicare for yeah. all. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. we all agree that this is important, but like, how do you get people, how do you like get the momentum? Right. And like, mm-hmm. that is one of the, so that's one of the arguments that like people like gray are making about this failed vote is like the failed vote will provide the momentum. But I don't necessarily think that that's true uh, either necessarily, because you have to expect that Pelosi would use the opportunity to do the, to, to, to like crush any momentum that it, that it would be a, like a demobilizing thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then the question is like, what would provide uh, momentum uh, f- uh, for this? And I think that you have to imagine that, you know, there were, there would be things that you could do uh, that would continue to signal that this would be important. Like David Sirota has talked about, you know, you could pass a, a resolution that says like Biden has to deal with this. That might actually get some that might have support because it's, you know, members of Congress aren't committing themselves to quite as much or uh, setting up some sort of like presidential commission to deal with this. Like, but the point is the idea that you would find momentum from a loss that Pelosi would definitely be able to capitalize on seems kind of wild to me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. totally. I also just don't think that it's a good strategy to be trying to build momentum for popular public programs through elite institutions like Congress. I don't think that's where power is built. I don't think that the I don't think most people um, have great faith and trust in Congress to represent their interests, especially not after like the past couple of months. And mm-hmm. it seems to me like the risk that we run here is that you know, obviously there's sort of this like searching for um, a way to like move forward without the figurehead or whatever, which many of the people who I feel like are sort of more 
visibly involved in this discourse right now are all people who were involved with this electoral campaign. And I don't think that necessarily the power for Medicare for all comes from electoralism. I think it comes from a tangible, um, literally a market demand that needs to be met. <laughs> right. And this this is, I think, my, like healthcare and health are much bigger than electoral politics. And to hinge the success or failure of a national health program on electoralism and parliamentary behavior. I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> right. Like it parliamentary just, politics, it, basically. You know, it just is not a smart strategy, I think, because it, it it's it's one acting like we have infinite infinite time, which we don't. And mm-hmm. two, it is ceding power to the people who we know will say no. And why Why would we do that? We're already at such a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I guess I would, I have a slightly different perspective, which is like, I think legislative decisions can be used, can be used as focal points. And, and like the history of, you know, a number of major pieces of like legislative reform would suggest that they have in the past been used to uh, at least galvanize uh, people. But that's a that's an open question that that that's not necessarily true. Right. 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 And I think in the absence of I, I think the, the great example is like, you know, if you look at like intra party caucuses like like the CPC, it's like, yeah, they can be powerful, but they have to have some ability to give their members an opportunity to like resist pressure from leadership, including pressure that comes from like money from leadership, the ability to get out votes and all of that. And like without some sort of surrogate at the level of like the district, they're not going like, yeah, you might have some rules on on paper and they might be able to like say, okay, we can get our members to like do this. But unless they have something that's like real and material, they're not going to be able to resist uh, pressure from leadership when the chips are down because leadership will say like, we can, Mm -hmm. we can primary your ass. I guess. I, I mean, I guess ultimately the problem is we have a we have a couple of different uh, sort of questions here, and a lot of them I feel like are ju- are literally just like the, ultimately I feel like this ends up being a, like an argument over priorities or something. Like first of all, if we were gonna if there was a let, let's let's take for instance in a vacuum this idea of congressional progressive caucus for right. again for whatever that means like uh, because because the definition is so loose, although there are reports that it's starting to like tighten a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, who, like, who knows what will happen in the coming years with, uh, what, like what shape that progressive caucus takes, but like well, the tight caucus. So <clears throat> first of all, like in a vacuum, there's like, wh- I mean, what is, what is the, you know, point of any of them voting for Pelosi for speaker at all? Really? Right. Um, <laughs> right. So, right. So yeah, that, which I don't think, which I don't think we even have to address. I think that's just important to state. Right. Um, the, mm-hmm. the, the second thing though is, okay, let's, and then in terms of priorities, so then you're saying, okay, so now we're assuming that like, okay, CPC, the Congressional Progressive Caucus is going to, uh, like is, is, let's say they're going to leverage their votes over something, right? So AOC has already said, you know, we're, I'm going to leverage my vote over uh, for Pelosi speaker, I think over, uh, over like a, a relief package. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like, there's, there's that, but so we're already, so we're already like past that to like, okay, leveraging votes. Right. Um, if we stick within Medicare for all, for example, I, I hate how this debate began because it's literally just like someone, 
some asshole some asshole got loud basically and then it got taken seriously to the <laughs> yeah. point that we're fucking talking about it so here here we are but like just to you know just to just to uh how to put just to entertain this for a second so for imagining for example okay so is it for a floor vote for medicare for all there are obvious like pros and cons to that and i think we as we've discussed it seems like probably in in this moment the cons outweigh um like the the cons outweigh the pros much as i would love to see like a medicare for all house vote like today turn up positive right that Mm -hmm. would be great um like that's that's clearly there are enough very vested and entrenched interests against that uh right now that we have a lot of sort of like power building to do outside of and 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 like and uh and next to these institutions right to be able to even like get to really that, that point the the other thing is these other phil you mentioned for example the okay what about a resolution to make biden deal with it i want to point out another thing about that which is the so that's pointing in some ways to there's something that uh i think uh dave dan has like talked about as part of his their like day one agenda for the american prospect which is saying uh well technically under section 18 1881a of the social security act you could uh, by executive order give basically everyone in the united states uh medicare because there's a there's a clause that says you can that like by executive order essentially you can grant uh extend medicare to people who have been subject to significant environmental hazard right mm-hmm. yeah and it's been used um in what is the town like a town i think montana right uh, um the, yeah but then the problem with that is one i mean okay you can pass this resolution to what ask nicely to have uh biden extend this like via medicare like sure you could do that (laughs) on the other hand though if you simply expand medicare to everyone through this emergency program that's not medicare for all right that is quite literally those are are the words giving medicare to everyone or whatever right Mm -hmm. like that is the words medicare for all but that's not like the actual policy there are substantive differences like like all that would do is extend the current program, which would probably is like uh, I was like tweeting about this the other day. That would probably just basically end up greatly expanding like Medicare Advantage plans, which is like the privatized Medicare. Uh, like you could exec by executive order um, again using Section eighteen eighty one A. Like Biden could give everyone Medicare because we're under a national emergency, like health emergency through COVID. But then like that's not going to single-handedly also do the other thing that like one of the really important things that Medicare for all does, which is make it not legal for health insurance companies to offer competing or duplicate coverage Mm -hmm. to the Medicare for all program. So then what you're just going to end up with like a hugely stratified system. It also doesn't address the cost sharing either. It's a huge mess. essentially. Like, so what's the priority is what right. I'm saying. Like, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't think that a lot of these, I think a lot of the things that are being proposed right now are like quick fix ideas. Like, what if we just do that? That speak to me as though it's like being like, whatever is being said about this it, it is most loudly being said by people who feel backed into a corner, basically. Well, you know it's, I mean? and it's, ref- it's classic reformism. It's band-aids, which we mm-hmm. know is historically um, demotivating politically too right like it's it's also going to fulfill the critique that the like entire neoliberal disability community has had from of medicare for for all from the very beginning which is well don't you know that like traditional medicare sucks ass 
And as a Medicare recipient, like I can tell you, it's really not perfect. It's much better than not having insurance for sure. I am very Mm -hmm. grateful that I qualified for SSDI and I'm on Medicare. I'm alive because of it right now, but I can't afford to have Medicare. You know, I, I blew through the donut hole in the first month of the year and it's expensive to still be on Medicare. A lot of seniors can't even afford their prescriptions. And, you know, on top of it, like, do we really want to be doing half measures when there is such popular support for the whole measure? Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm all for the idea of not making the same mistake that uh, has been made over and over again right. of using half measure of, of, of the fact that half measures always demobilize. They always turn the corner in the worst direction. And in the right. case of Medicare, I mean, right now it's like you're taking the darkest like elements of the current Medicare system and, and would be putting putting it like forward and like ramping it up into overdrive. But like Biden wouldn't. The thing is, Biden will never do that. Biden will never like there's nobody going to be in his White House who has even a subscription to the American prospect. I I almost (laughs) sort of guarantee you that. But like but the point is the the question that we're circling around is like, how do you take this moment in which so much seems possible and yet at the same time, so much seems impossible and make the most of that. Right. Keep the flame alive, create the political conditions of possibility that make uh, as we were saying before, like make actual Medicare for all, you know, something, you know, that approximates the Jayapal bill or maybe even goes further a not just a possibility, but an inevitability. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, right. how do you take mm-hmm. advantage of actions both in the public sphere, but also in the legislative sphere to like demonstrate that more and more people are supportive of this and that this is, you know, a, a, a necessity. And I think anything that cuts the wind out of the sails of the movement is probably wrong to do. But I don't think that that precludes symbolic actions that uh, rally that, that do rally people. Right. And, and that provides some way for people to say, okay, this is, this is what I want. I'm willing to like, you know, make phone calls to organize people to organize, um, you know, uh, you know, sort of actions out in the world to, to begin to, to demand this. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. the, but the, the question for me is one of the consequences, right? And this is why I don't like the way that this debate has, has played out because I actually do think this is a good debate to have. But now, like everything else, it's being had as like, well, who, who is cool? And like, who's like, you know, who, 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 like what sort of like, what is the like the Oversimplified, the good, yeah. What, what is the, well, it's like, it's like, what's the good, what's the good, like not offensive or somehow like, um, appropriate position to take rather than thinking about what the consequences of these actions are going to be. Right? right. That's the thing. Exactly. I really do care about this. That's why I, you know, do this podcast. Like it's, but <laughs> the question is like, what are the consequences going to be? And you have to be a little bit agnostic when you're thinking about that. Like this whole, this, like this whole week, I was genuinely not sure how I felt about all of this. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I feel like I've come to my position from actually trying to trace out what I think the consequences will be. And that's why I, I don't think this vote uh, trying, trying to push for this makes a lot of sense, but I do think that there are other things you can do. But the point is it always has to be geared towards like uh, 
pushing the bellows into the fire and making the fire get bigger. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, and that's to that, to that point. That's why I guess I, I think, you know, I, I was joking earlier when I was saying, you know, uh, instead of yelling at AOC, like organize some people to like yell at John Ossoff's campaign or something. Yeah. Right? But actually even, even like more so than that, it's like, I think much more, much more effective than, you know, uh, again, trying, trying to yell into the void at Congress, uh, at, at this point, I feel like is to, is to like work up building up popular to the popular support to the point that a floor vote becomes like a a foregone conclusion, right? Becomes Mm -hmm. like not just an inevitability, but becomes a, a thing that would be like, I, I, I guess, I guess the, the problem in my mind with, with this debate happening now, and again, this is kind of like, unfortunately, I feel like while, while it's good to be seeing it being had, because as you're saying, Phil, it is important. I do feel the terms of the debate have kept it very internecine, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, th- but I think the, the thing is, I feel like our, our energies should be directed now to, okay, so how do we like the, the work simply has not been done over the course of the pandemic uh, to to really build the demand even to make it embarrassing that it, there hasn't been a floor vote for Medicare for all. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it is embarrassing that there hasn't been a floor vote for Medicare for all in the middle of a pandemic, but it has already been embarrassing that there hasn't been a floor vote for Medicare for all <laughs> for like 20 or 30 years or more. Right. You know what I mean? Like it is, we're we are better spent uh, in our energies trying to like get people to really take up this cause and fight for it right now to leverage to like to make it so that people have to respond to make it so that like I mean all of the call campaigns that people have been doing over the last like a couple of years even slowly getting new house members to uh, like to become co sponsors right. That's been mm-hmm. pretty effective. I don't necessarily think that just having like a theoretical debate over whether like 10 people are going to withhold their vote from Nancy Pelosi is useful. It's too small. Right? It's it's honestly not worth the energy to try and organize behind getting that done. You're totally right. As opposed right. to just organizing for Medicare. Right. What I think would be right. much better. Like, uh, OK, so I, I mean, I've been looking at a lot of like stuff about sort of how uh how exactly people in the past have been able to leverage the small wins that have happened particularly in the healthcare space and mostly looking at conservative efforts because ultimately like the privatization of healthcare has been more successful than the fight for universal healthcare um and what you what you really see and I think looking at Medicare Part D is a really good example is how successful posturing is so much more than symbolic votes. I think it would be, you know, I think both houses are the House and the Senate are going to be on recess as of the 21st. I think it would be a much better use of everyone's time to spend that month or two months that they're on recess bothering the shit out of their representatives. You know, you can do the Ronald Reagan call to action and call and write letters and do it every damn day. Show up to testify, right? Like riot, whatever, show up to testify on Zoom and bother the crap out of all of your representatives, get people to do it together, make it a social activity. Why not? Because Mm -hmm. I think it would be much more valuable to have (laughs) 
to have like CPC members get up on the on C-SPAN doing performative like three hour, you know, I'm just going to in open session talk about Medicare for all the way that you see Tea Party conservatives talk about horrible revanchist social policies like, you know, getting rid of abortion. There is like power to the reproduction of rhetoric and a floor vote is not a powerful avenue, you know, to reproduce that rhetoric other than the image of non-feasibility of failure and of like disenfranchisement and frankly despair yeah, in people who support for like it. a binary event not right. a not like an and idea. that's an easy way out too to just be like oh we have to pressure aoc aoc will do it like no i'm sorry we're gonna have to do it ourselves we can't mm-hmm. we can't just like keep hoping that somehow if we figure out the right combination of attacks like we'll defeat nancy pelosi like it doesn't work like that nancy pelosi isn't a video game she is part of an institution and in order to achieve what we actually all need to collectively survive we're gonna have to think about different ways to like insert ourselves and our priorities and our needs into the institutions, not trying to, you know, find that one quick fix, because ultimately anything that's that narrow is not enough. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like this debate sort of leaves a lot of those variables about how, how do you build the capacity for the CPC to actually be effective at uh, at whipping a vote. You know, it it takes things that can't just be ginned up in a very, very quick, like rush to a floor vote. Um, Mm -hmm. It takes time. And most of all, it takes reputation and you don't get reputation by like your first big foray being a, a huge loss on a floor vote. Or anything that could be in any way construed as like obstructionist during a pandemic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it also, I think the other thing that's important too is to think about, it's just that uh, underlying a lot of this is the sort of like, this like attitude that a lot of people have that like, yeah, AOC's in Congress. AOC's going to save us. The squad, they're going to save us. Like we just have to convince them to do the right thing. And it's like, no, no, they're not. They're not going to save us. Like, well, what? they're branded. It's a branding exercise. That Congress well, the, of course it's a branding us. exercise, but, but I'm just saying like people seem to have actually taken that branding seriously and put all of this like, importance on these people who don't i mean convincing one fucking person is not going to save anybody like convincing a shitload of people uh to to create a movement you know that will that could save us i feel like convincing is the wrong framing you know what i mean sure i think what's important sorry i didn't mean i didn't mean to cut you off but I, i think what's important is um we Think about things not just in like such a narrow context as what's being debated right now, right? Like we're all pretty yeah. much agreed on that. It just betrays yeah. a very narrow and I think um, sim- like simplified view of uh, like a very simplified theory of power. Right. And it, it's like I mean? that that thinking leads to the problems like uh, that we talk about all the time with like the ADA, right? The ADA is passed. It's portrayed and marketed as some sort of like massive, huge win. And then you spend 30 years trying to tell people how it's not working and you need to do more. But what's happened in the meantime is nothing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I had this experience of going through these examples of different, you know, uh, moments where like you, you see like major, major reforms like pass and it's, you know, all of the, all of the variables that really matter, all the things that really matter are like outside forces pushing in on institutions. That's, that's what generates like the raw material for a good vote. 
right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to think that you can like put the that cart before the horse makes sense in a way because of how disorganized uh, like politics is like without uh, sort of a strong labor movement, without um, like strong uh, national like social movements and with the sort of um, sort of the individuation of these these pressures. Like it makes sense that 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 would be the theory of power that people would have. But it doesn't change the fact that like, yeah, you know how easy it's going to be to explain a no vote on Medicare for all for Gwen Moore? Like yeah. really easy. And and you know why it's going to be easy? Because there's no one. There's no one who will be challenging her in a primary anytime soon. There's not mm-hmm. the capacity to do that. I mean, that's not how Milwaukee politics works. And, and like that. And that's and that is the essence of the problem. Mm-hmm. Right. And on to- and on top of that, like not only is there not the the you know the the substantive political challenge to her left, for example, or to the the left of a lot of these people um who you know who, who like putatively would be up here uh you know being being forced to like own their no vote, right? On top of that, there is not I mean, think of what happened during during the debates, right? The like clearly the social reproduction like there, there's a lot of social reproductive work that still has to happen to make it socially unacceptable for, for example, like, uh, like primary debate moderators to frame, um, to fr- inherently frame like support or even past support for Medicare for all as some sort of like terror issue. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As <laughs> or some an extreme sort, uh, position, a position right. of yeah. the left. It's not a position of the left. Right. No, 50% my Republican of Republicans self-identified Republicans support this. It is yeah. not a position of the left. Right. And and but so like but beyond that I guess my my point essentially is that there is no if, if you want to talk about accountability you're going to have like the, the very same people who are yelling the most about wanting this vote right now are basically going to be the only people who are going to be running stories that say here are all the people who just voted no on the on the <laughs> floor vote that failed to pass i'm serious like no, exactly. everyone That's else will will do the headline like well it looks like america's not ready for single payer look you know medicare I mean? for all right. failed on the floor vote well, just like we told you it right, would exactly. Right. So, be, like, for most people who are not actually paying attention, it's yeah, it's we told you so, etc. It's well, I guess we can't have nice things in this country or something, and that's fundamental. Right. That's it's it's just it's such like fundamental bullshit. Like, I get like, yes, accountability is important. Yes, it's important to get people on this and to get people to be forced to to either like vote no on it or to abstain, not show up that day or whatever, you know what, or I guess not like, yeah, whatever. But like the, the point is like the, the people who, who do not uh, support this are not, are already not shy about it, Mm -hmm. are already not shy about not supporting single pair. Um, And while I think the movement um, through, I think throughout like 2019 and like the beginning of 2020, it, it, felt like there was sort of um like a a wave behind and frankly Mm -hmm. i think jaya paul deserves credit for that because if she had not included long-term care in her bill the momentum would not have been there right you know what i mean but so my my point is there was a lot of momentum and i think like that that has to get picked back up right now and it has to get a lot louder and bigger and stronger than it was that like that it has been before because we do not like we you know we we don't win this by 
forcing a floor vote and then having like basically only what like the American prospect and Jacobin and like whatever, like, uh, the like the In shitty times. current affairs or whatever yeah. <laughs> being like here are all the here, are all, here are all the new evils or whatever yeah. here here are the people who like who, who who fucked you or whatever you know we like we don't we don't necessarily convince people like that way we, we have to, love like, this mythology the, in america though of being able to point the finger at the bad actor and saying look it's the hamburglar. He's responsible for you not having health care. <laughs> well, no, but my, po- my point is it's only it's like a, it's at the moment only like a very small amount of people would be right. even doing the pointing. And so it's like then to most people it just becomes to, to the majority of people. It just looks like a fucking he said he said she said or something like that. And it's like, oh, I don't actually know the terms of this debate, but it looks like it failed. So, OK, like, right. I guess it, I'll Nancy get Nancy Pelosi. The New York Times headline will be like Nancy Pelosi squeaks by uh, like to regain speakership. Like Left Democrats- fails to disrupt congressional calendar by, you know, being defeated in their protest of Pelosi's reelection. Right. Democrats look weak, like small majority. And then like a quote from Kevin McCarthy. And it's just like. Clearly, that they're just too extreme, and uh, the <laughs> extremity, and uh, the least Nancy yeah. Pelosi recognizes they're just too extreme. Yeah, but pay, for, also, pay, you know for, pay for, pay for, pay for. This also kind of gets this also like, kind of gets to like another thing that I find actually really distasteful about it. This is not Medicare for all is not a fucking bargaining chip. It's not like mm-hmm. you shouldn't, and you know, I, neither are a lot of these other uh, a lot of like other things that are that are really important to uh, to the left, like like uh, prison industrial comp, uh, complex abolition or. Uh, like the Green New Deal. None of these things are like are none of these things should be just like pushed out as like, well, this one polls well. So let's make a bunch of people like do a performative. uh, Let's make a bunch of people who don't support it, do a performative vote. That's going to be most of what people ultimately hear about Mm -hmm. it. You know what I mean? uh, That is. Yeah, go ahead. The operative words there are should be because now there is something that we might call the commodity form of the policy. Um, and that is precisely yeah. the problem here, which is that like this is a commoditized version of policy action. Yeah. Um, Whoa, and it's yeah. not. And I would emphasize, I think there's totally a role for people who are not actually directly involved in these things, waxing like philosophical about them and making arguments. I think that's excellent and and should happen. It has always happened and has been a crucial way that party ideology develops. Always been there. But when it's when it's not actually linked to struggle and it's just about building up your personal brand yeah. and uh, about sort of because what happens when the vote fails, then for the next two months, you've got something to bitch about to your uh, you know, loyal fan base. And mm-hmm. that to me is what's disgusting is then it, it actually does make politics just more of the theater, more of the, uh, the like shadow boxing, uh, that I think really demobilizes people. Yeah. You know, it's so funny, Phil, I can't tell you how many times a day I just find myself thinking about this thing that you said to us like, months ago. Now I want to say it was maybe a year ago, when you just casually offhand were like, oh, are you running to like actually change capitalism or are you running to be a socialist politician? Like what is really like going on here? And there's so much. <laughs> yeah, there's so much of of this that is like, I think a, 
like a branding exercise, right? It's like, what brand of the left are we going to take? What's going to win out as the dominant vibe for the next couple of years? Is it going to be the like, uh, you know, the Jimmy Dore idea of like, we have to get this failed vote now because Democrats are not going to win in the midterms. And therefore, this is our like tiny window before we're like fucked again and like further under the heel. That's that's like a, a incredibly like self-reproducing defeatist, like pessimistic piece of shit ideology to walk into this fight with. And like the more that you see like this fight for healthcare be branded and commodified, as you're saying, the more that we're seeing people like, I think, build their identities around what strategy they're going to try and push for here. And it's in, it's incredibly frustrating. But I do think that on the bright side, for the first time in months, I don't I don't worry that people are going to forget about Medicare for all. Like there is in some sense like a good side to all of this arguing. Right. But I don't think that you could say that there's a good sign to a failed vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the arguing is actually like I, I, I don't like the particular versions of it that have happened. But I do think it's something that we have to be talking about, because if you're not talking about it, there's so many things that remain hidden and hard to actually grapple with for real. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't enjoy mm-hmm. the arguing at all, but I do think that in a, in a sick, sad sense, it is productive at incentivizing oh, people yeah. to be talking about it, you know. Maybe what we have to do is we just have to uh, incentivize elected representatives <laughs> to feel comfortable being enabled to adopt the consumer branding of Medicare for all for themselves. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we have to put a breakfast. That's got to be a breakfast cereal, you know, mm-hmm. Kellogg's right. <laughs> Medicare for all. <laughs> Yeah, now we just need a mascot. Oh my god, we just need a mascot like all those Japanese towns that make little mascots to help with tourism. We just need to make a Medicare for all mascot and we're good to go. Medi can't be a cranky old white guy, (laughs) it's a gigantic COVID vaccine. Um, what was the name for the coat? It's a big Arnax Covey. All the kids love Covey, they run up when they see (laughs) Covey. We need to get engage in that's some good fully, old fashioned propaganda here. That's 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 I I feel like on par with a Michael Caputo idea. Oh my god, Gritty and Covey could do TikToks together. Just imagine it would be oh, beautiful. <laughs> so yeah, um, Medicare for all debate of the week uh, aside. Um, I guess we're going to wrap up. For further discussion, see our patron episode for Monday. Yeah, actually, if you want, so <laughs> this more actually, fun. Yeah, I, I feel like we maybe should have uh, pl- plugged this a little bit earlier. But yeah, if you want a significantly more, uh, let's say, substantive conversation uh, about where we're at with Medicare for All right now, um, see our most recent patron episode, actually, because um, we had a real joy of a time um, on Monday talking about the latest CBO report about Medicare for All um, and basically saying what uh, no one else will, including a lot of people who are currently involved in this uh, Medicare for All debate of the week, which is the cost of Medicare for All does not fucking matter. And let us explain that to you <laughs> uh, in the Patreon episode. Patreon.com slash pod. But I thought as a last thing, maybe we could just, just before we wrap out, I want to bring your attention uh, to this, guys, which I'm not sure that you will have seen. 
do you remember when we talked about um i can't remember when it was recently but we kind of talked about like the covid uh state security theater um of like basically yeah. reducing covid threats down to like threat level much like the tom ridge special mm-hmm. yeah exactly much like the uh war on terror mm-hmm. kind of situation um like the white house uh coronavirus task force has i think as of this morning introduced uh a new threat level <laughs> to uh covid you want to oh, hear what uh, it is polka dot level disco no so um their new tie dye th- their newest threat level it's pink because representation darkest red oh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not even kidding so now an angry red the scale goes from dark green light green yellow orange light red red dark red and now the brand new darkest red <laughs> where is this on like the pantone okay. like which pantone color yeah. is this? <laughs> this we looks fucked like... up so bad we had to just move that saturation bar 25 percent further to the left i'm gonna say this is like a mauve actually <laughs> something like that as oh, a, should we, should we use my color. colorblind pal uh it's a uh what's ah uh, shit what is the Wow, you, you think I would be maybe it's oxblood. I don't know. It's like a very it's a dark red, but it's kind of it's like wound its way back around Here, to purple. I can pull the if you show me it, I can get the um, hex code. All right. We're using the app colorblind pal. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I only understand color in hex codes. Um, I have trouble with color, which is why I sometimes wear mismatching socks. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Pantone color deep red. Okay. <laughs> it says it's a it's a Profundo wine. So it's Rosso. like not even deepest red. 62% purple. What does this sound and fury signify? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's um diagnostic test positivity rate of 25% um, uh, and new cases per 100,000 population per week uh is over 750 at some point so. can you just stop with the color just stop with the colors and just put the big x or like the uh <laughs> right. you know yeah. it, like, Bugs yeah, bunny the, with his eyes crossed out the, the colors drop away and it's just like one skull of cr- skull and crossbones two skulls and crossbones three skulls and crossbones <laughs> all the all the way up i mean they are gonna have to like eventually the yeah the, the color spectrum i mean politics isn't a horseshoe but color theory is so i think if you <laughs> Uh, if you uh, if you go all the way around uh, on the darkest red, like if you, if you can't keep going further dark, if this is in fact the darkest red, I it mean, just becomes green again. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying, like, consider how, in fact, you know, ba- like basically what this means is that we have we have slowly ex- expanded to the point where now there needs to be a whole other signification beyond what we had before in terms of threat level, like color right. threat level, because <laughs> the pandemic has been managed so fucking poorly. I think we should go back to so like early cartography where they just treated stuff that was unknown <laughs> by past, saying here be monsters. Yeah, so like red. <laughs> here be covid like on 2021's like world atlases there's no united states on the map it's just like a big coronavirus drawing (laughs) well i i can't wait for uh for for after january 20th when uh you know the the Biden administration, who believes in in science, all color coordinates their uh, masks at press conferences to uh, to match this terror threat level. I think <laughs> that'll be instructive for us all, and uh, 
really helpful for those first hundred days. Kente cloth, but like in the whatever terror threat level it is of <laughs> oh coronavirus. Anyway. I hate all these people. Anyways, <laughs> my, uh, my check out our... My cloth is darkest red threat level. Check out our episode from Monday, patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. Again, does not matter how much it costs for Medicare for all. We need it. Needed it yesterday Mm -hmm. as always thank you so much for listening if you want to help us out please leave us a rating review on apple Podcasts. it helps people find the show and uh yeah patreon.com slash death panel pod that's it for today medicare for all now solidarity forever today i'll have another week see y'all christmas is a construct excited for John Kasich's uh, music column that he's going to start writing for uh, Village Voice. <laughs> yeah. His, where he picks the greatest uh, the greatest hits of mediocre pop radio hits from 20 years ago. Basically. <laughs> Longer than 20 years ago now. Jesus Why Christ. Why was he Folks. sharing that in the first Courtney place? Courtney Taylor's just, just a like great it. songwriter in the American tradition. <laughs> Folks, Courtney Taylor, hell of a guy. Met him at the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was it where did he meet him at the thing after the show whatever yeah you know met what you I'm in the van about. met you in the van my dad was a milkman <laughs> <laughs> oh really God. enjoyed making velvet underground style things <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>